Amen. If you have your Bible this morning, I want to invite you to turn with me to Galatians, the New Testament book of Galatians chapter 6. And so I want to begin by wishing you a happy Mother's Day. And I know that some people suggest that uh, Mother's Day is not found in Scripture, uh, but I think those people are wrong. Uh, the Bible says in Proverbs 31, 28, her children rise up and call her blessed and her husband also praises her. And uh, that sounds like Mother's Day to me, right? I want to honor mothers this morning. Yours is often an unsung, unappreciated job, but it's one of the most significant things that happens in the universe. Uh, the Bible, not the Bible, but uh, William Wallace in 1865 uh, wrote a poem and said, the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. And I think that underscores just the importance of the role, the value of mothers. Now, I think we should pause and remember that this is a difficult day for many women in our church and in our community. Uh, there are um, many women in our church who deal with uh, infertility and unable to have children. And I think most of us probably have no idea of the pain that they experience on a day like this day. And so as we celebrate moms, and we should, and motherhood, and we should, uh, let us be careful to, um, to pray for those that are hurting. There are also moms here today who have lost children since last Mother's Day. And this is a very difficult day for them, and we should pray for them as well. So I, I wanna be, though, an encouragement to moms this morning. And I want to share with you uh, an important truth and some vital instructions that are found in Galatians chapter 6. And you're going to want to write these down, moms, because these are going to encourage you and challenge you. Uh, I think you'll be glad to know what God's Word has to say to you today. When we come to Galatians chapter 6, in the last uh, section here of this book, we have some concluding remarks. Uh, it seems that uh, the Apostle Paul gives some almost random instructions to the Galatians. I think there's probably a, a thread that runs through these instructions, but it's hard to see. Seems like almost some random last minute instructions. And then he concludes with some personal words. But I want to look at some of those instructions. So Galatians chapter six, we're going to look at two verses. Let's begin with verse two. He says, carry one another's burdens in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. All right, simple verse, carry one another's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Now, let's skip down to verse 5, because I want you to see this other instruction. He says, for each person will have to carry his own load. So here he tells us everybody's to carry his own load, his own burden that you might say. So let's look at both of these verses together. I'm, I'm going to put them both on the screen because I want you to see that there seems to be some discrepancy here. There seems to be some contradiction. Uh, verse 2 says that uh, we are to bear the burdens of other people, but verse 5 says that everybody should carry his own burdens. So which is it? Are we to carry the burdens of others? Are we to let others carry their own burdens? Well, this is one of those cases where really to understand the full gist of what the Bible is saying, we have to look to the original language. And so Paul wrote the book of Galatians, not in English, but in Greek. 
And if you look these words up in the Greek, you'll notice some nuances that don't necessarily come across in the English language. And in this case, they are very important nuances. And so let's do that. If we look back at verse 2, the word burdens in the Greek is baros, baros. It's actually bare in the manuscript, but the lemma is baros. And baros is a Greek word that refers to an overwhelming burden. It refers to something that you just cannot carry alone. It refers to something that's so heavy that it would be impossible for you to carry it. Now, when we look at how this word was used in ancient literature, we see that sometimes it was used to refer to a physical burden. You know, maybe you can't uh, physically build your house by yourself, or you can't physically carry this equipment across the desert. It might be a physical burden, or it could be an emotional or mental burden. Maybe your heart is broken. Maybe you're grieved over the loss of a loved one. Maybe you're stressed out. Maybe you're depressed. But maybe there's an emotional burden or a mental burden that is just too great for you to bear. And what verse 2 says is that when somebody has one of these unbearable burdens, that Christians should come alongside that person and we should help carry the load. And so somebody in your family, somebody in your faith family, somebody you know who is a believer and they're, they're experiencing this terrible burden, you should be a burden bearer in their life. You should help build the house. You should help move the stuff. You should help comfort them through the broken heart. You should provide finances for them as they overcome some burden that they couldn't manage by themselves. That's what verse 2 is telling us. Now, let's look down to verse 5. Here, the Greek word for load, or your Bible might say burden, for each person will have to carry his own burden or his own load. The Greek word here is the word fortune, fortune. Now, that's important because it sounds a lot like an English word uh, that we get from that word, the word portion. And what he's talking about here is not some overwhelming burden, not some broken heart, not some terrible grief, not some insurmountable financial obstacle. What he's talking about here is just your portion, your responsibility, the things that are up to you, the things that you should be taking care of. And so he says, if somebody has an overwhelming burden, we ought to step in and help them. But if somebody's just facing the regular responsibilities of life, we need to let those people handle their own responsibilities. And so it's interesting, as I was reading through how these words were used in, in some ancient literature this week, uh, the perfect illustration I ran across, they just, when they describe an army, a couple of thousand years ago, an army crossing the desert, they would say that the army would put its baros, it would put its heavy burden on the pack animals, whatever kind of animals they might have had. And so the, the mess tent, the food for the, for the company, the, uh, the, the, the supplies that they would need to repair their weapons, all of those kinds of things were put on the pack animal. And so if you read this ancient literature, it says the baros was put on the pack animal but the portion was put in their backpacks. And so each soldier had to carry his own stuff. I mean, the, the soldier next to you wouldn't carry your stuff. You had to carry your stuff. You had to carry your fortune. But there were animals there that would carry the baros. And so with all of that in mind, he tells us here that we need to help our brothers and sisters when they have these insurmountable burdens in their lives. But then everybody needs to take care of their own responsibility. So 
How does this apply specifically to moms? Now, there's a lesson here for all of us to learn, and whether you're a mom or not this morning, I think you're going to benefit from God's word, but how does this specifically apply to moms? Well, I think it gives them two vital instructions. Number one, a mom should be a burden bearer. As moms, you should be a burden bearer. You need to come alongside and help bear burdens that people around you cannot bear alone, especially your children. You need to be a burden bearer. Now, if you look back at, uh, at verse 2, and I want you to see this on the screen. In, in verse 2, there are really two parts to this verse. He says, first of all, that we're to carry one another's burdens. That's part one. And then we're, when we do that, we will fulfill the law of Christ. That's part two. So let's make sure we're understanding the entire verse. What does it mean to carry somebody's burden? Well, it means that, moms, you're walking with them, that you're supporting them, that you're nurturing them. And really, this is something that's ongoing. I'll give you one more Greek lesson, and then I promise I won't talk about it anymore this, uh, this sermon anyway. When you look at the verb here for carry, it says carry one another's burdens. Your Bible might say to bear one another's burdens or to share one another's burdens. The tense of that verb in the original means that it's not something that happens sporadically. It's not something that you do once or twice or occasionally. It's something that happens continually. It's talking about the way a mom takes care of a child. It's talking about continually supporting and nurturing. And I think that's just built into uh, the, the DNA, the character of every woman that uh, whether she has children or not, she has this nurturing instinct. It's just who she is. It's just the, the kind of character quality that she has. Uh, my um, youngest daughter is with me for a couple of weeks. She's out there somewhere. I won't ask her to raise her hand. She's all the way in the back. She's probably never sat in the back of a church before. So, uh. <laughs> well, My youngest daughter, her favorite animal is a panda. Uh, because she was born in uh, the region of China that where pandas used to run wild. In fact, uh, Ray and I have been to the famous Panda Museum in Chengdu, China, and we have seen the pandas, what you think of as pandas, and then also the red pandas that look entirely different, but they're still pandas, they say. And uh, so, so panda, that's her favorite animal. Uh, well, I, I, I've read a little bit about pandas, and there's something that's interesting about them. When a mama panda has her cubs, she usually does so in a cave, uh, she stays with those cubs and she tends to them and cares for them for five weeks, she never leaves them. Uh, now, uh, they don't know where the dad is. He's probably at Home Depot, walking up and down, <laughs> looking for who knows what. He's out golfing or he's fishing or something. The, the, the documentary couldn't find any dads, but the mom cubs stays, the mom stays with the cubs for five weeks, never leaves their side. She's nursing the cubs, and, and it's not until day 35 or 40 that she comes out and eats for the first time. And when she comes out to eat, scientists say that she's just almost dead from starvation. Now, why would she stay there? and take care of those cubs and not go 20 feet away to get something to eat? Well, because she has this nurturing instinct. And I think every woman has that built within her. And so when it says come alongside and uh, bear the burdens of others, that's what it's talking about. But then it says that when you do this, that you will fulfill the law of Christ. What does that mean? 
Well, Christ was the greatest, is the greatest burden bearer, right? He bears the burden for our sins. And so when a, when a mom is a burden bearer, when she is a nurturer, when she is a supporter, when she carries a burden that, that her kids or her family cannot carry, she is fulfilling the law of Christ. She is a picture of the kind of burden that Christ carries for all of us who know him. I think about that song that we used to sing, he paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. So Christ Jesus paid a debt that I could never pay. It talks about the burden that Jesus carries, the burden of our sin. In fact, the reason we can have a relationship with God, the reason that we can be Christians is because Christ is a burden bearer. Because he has borne the burden of my sin, I'm guilty of sin, but he's paid the penalty for that. He has carried the guilt of that, the penalty rather, of that. And so that's how I can be a, a child of God. In my life, I was about 17 years old, and uh, I recognized for the first time that it would be hopeless for me to do anything to save myself. I would never be good enough for the Lord, but that Jesus was willing to carry the burden of my sin. And I accepted that. I trusted what he had done for me. And I repented of my sins. And God, God saved me because Jesus is a burden bearer. And so moms, when you're a burden bearer, you are the greatest model of Christ uh, that, we have, that we have today. And moms, you should value the role uh, that God has given to you. That, that, that is an incredible thing. That you, just by, just by living out the, the, the nature, the character that God has built in you to be a nurturer, you, you, you are, are, are a model of fulfilling uh, the law of Christ. You know, in our culture, we're seeking to blur the lines between men and women. Have you noticed that? And, uh, and our culture is doing that while claiming that its motivation is so that women can be equal to men. And, uh, I, you know, I struggle with that because that implies that for all these years, women somehow, in somebody's eyes, have not been equal to men. But, but let, me, let me talk to you about that. Ladies, don't let the world rob you of one of the most significant, one of the most special, one of the things that makes you so valuable. Do not let the world rob you of this of this nurturing instinct, of this role that you are a burden bearer because in that role you are emblematic of who Christ is. That, that is not something that needs to be erased from uh, womanhood in order to make women valuable. That is one of the reasons women have such great value. You know, in our world, uh, we, we, have, we have made professional accomplishment uh, the greatest value in life. That's what determines your value. Well, that shouldn't be true of men or women. But listen, ladies, your greatest value, whether you have some professional accomplishment or not, your greatest value is how God has made you and how you reflect the glory of God. And one of the greatest ways you reflect the glory of God is to be a burden bearer like God has made you to be a burden bearer. And so don't think that if you spend your time and energy nurturing instead of accomplishing what the world says you should accomplish, 
that you have somehow chosen a lesser option. You have not. One of the most valuable things about you is that you represent Christ as a burden bearer. Shame on us when we have exalted worldly accomplishments above godly callings in life. And you know, I have three daughters, so I have some strong opinions about this. And I, listen, we push our daughters to, uh, to achieve. Uh, I, I want them to be capable. I want them to be smart. I want them to be high achievers. I want them to be able to do anything that their heart leads them to do. Uh, we push them. We push them in ways that would probably surprise you. I, I want them to be able to achieve their very, very best. And you know, it might be that my three girls make a significant uh, mark on this world. Or it may be that they will not. But I can tell you as their dad, my greatest prayer is that they will grow up and be godly wives and godly moms. And there's not anything that they may do beyond that that will make me more proud of them than that one thing. Let us not discount the importance of being burden bearers. Moms, be a burden bearer. And in so doing, you fulfill the law of Christ. Now, there's a second instruction, and we see this in verse 5. This instruction tells moms to be boundary setters. So be a burden bearer, but also be a boundary setter. And so if you look back at verse 5, it says, for each person will carry his own load. That means at some point, moms, listen, you've got to draw a line and say, I will bear some burdens, but everything on the other side of the line is your business. <laughs> everything on the other side of the line is your responsibility. Moms need to quit trying to be superwoman and 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 understand that it's okay to draw a line and let other people carry their own load. Let me teach you the boundary principle. And this is important for all of us, but I, I think because moms struggle with this, I think moms struggle with this just because of their nurturing nature. Listen to this principle. You have responsibilities. You do. Every one of us. We have responsibilities. But your responsibility stops where someone else's responsibility starts. You're not responsible for everyone, and you're not responsible for everything. We see a, a precedent in Scripture for this. Moses was um, leading the people of God toward the promised land, and he just felt responsible for everybody. He, he was trying to solve everybody's problem. He was trying to be the fixer of every family in Israel until his father-in-law came along and gave him some advice. And listen to this, Exodus 18 uh, verses 17 and 18 says, what are you doing? What you are doing, Moses, is not good. You will certainly wear out both yourself and the people who are with you because the task is too heavy for you. You can't do it alone. Sometimes, listen, mom, you have to draw a line and say, that's not a burden that I can help you bury, uh, bear. That is a responsibility that I've got to leave on your plate. And, and you know, there are a couple of reasons why we need to do this. First of all, you need to do it for your own sanity. Listen, moms, for your own sanity. You are not God. So you're not responsible for everything. 
Quit thinking that you have to be the fixer of every little thing that happens in your house and every little thing that happens with your children from the age of one to the age of 50. You are not God and you need to draw some lines for your, for your own sanity. And did you know that not even God took responsibility for every person's uh, load, every person's responsibility? I, I think about the rich young ruler. There, there's a story in the Bible, uh, an account in the Bible, really a true account of, uh, of a wealthy man, young man comes to Jesus. He was an influential man. And he asked Jesus, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus gave him an answer, but it wasn't the answer that he wanted. And so the Bible says that he is frustrated and he turns around and he walks away. So here was a guy who was just about that close to being saved, but he doesn't get the answer he wants. And so he's, he's just walking away. You know what Jesus does when he walks away? He lets him go. Now that's not how most of us would have done it. Moms, that's not how you would have done it, right? You got to chase him down. Say, now listen, we need to talk about this some more. I mean, we need to, do you have any more questions? Is there anything else I can share? I mean, you wouldn't have, it would have been against everything in your heart to just let him walk away. But Jesus let him walk away because while Jesus was willing to carry his burden, and his burden was sin, Jesus was willing to carry his burden. Jesus was not willing to carry his load, his portion. That man had a responsibility, and if he wasn't going to follow through with this responsibility, Jesus drew a line and said, well, listen, you're on your own, your own. And so moms, you need to draw some lines and you need to let people take their responsibility for your own sanity, but also for others. You know, consequences, consequences are sometimes the very best teacher. And I know as, uh, you know, as a parent of three, three girls, I think of them as little girls, but they're growing up pretty fast. But as the parent of three girls, you know, I want to teach them everything. I want them to, I want them to learn and I also want them to be free of consequences, especially while they're young. You know, I want to guard them from the consequences of poor decisions. But the truth is you can't do both of those things. The best way for my daughters to learn something is to make some bad decisions and experience some consequences and pay some prices, and then they will learn a lesson. So moms, you need to draw a line, not only for your own sanity, but also for the benefits of, of your children. If if you remove consequences, you will rob them of some vital lessons. And so these two verses, when we put them together, says we, we ought to be nurturers and supporters. We need to be taking care of the burdens, the real burdens of the people around us. We should, we should help them with those. But we should make sure everybody carries their own load. Now, I want us to be practical I don't want to preach a message and just give you some principles and some lofty sounding philosophy from scripture. I, I, I want to give you some, some steps, some, some practical steps. So uh, let, me, let me take these two things and turn them into uh, four truths for moms. So since Galatians 6.2 and 6.5 say what they say, moms, here's what you need to do. Here are the truths. Number one, you're not supposed to fix everyone's problems. All right, can I get an amen? You're not supposed to fix everyone's problems. Let some people have some problems from time to time. I remember a secretary that I had years ago, and it was because of a youth minister we had years ago, but she hung a sign on her desk that said, procrastination on your part does not warrant an emergency on my part. <laughs> and listen, moms, you may need to hang that uh, 
hang that sign around your neck. And little Jimmy comes home and he tells you, hey, tomorrow my science project is due and you've not heard about it. Well, then maybe little Jimmy just doesn't need to have a science project tomorrow, okay? You, you need to, uh, you're not supposed to fix everybody's problem. Number two, you're not, you're not supposed to say yes to everyone's request. Listen, just because you're a nurturer doesn't mean that other people get to make decisions for your life. God's given you a certain amount of time and a certain amount of energy. Did you know that God's given you, and I struggle with this all the time, so if you, if you know me well, don't laugh when I say this. I, I do believe it's true. Um, God has given us enough time and enough energy to do everything that he wants us to do and to do it gracefully. Did you know that? When you see a guy just run, 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 don't think that guy is just... Uh, you know, better than everybody else. That guy is run, run, run because he's got his priorities messed up. Even if it's me. I mean, God's given us plenty of time and plenty of energy to do everything he wants us to do. So the key to that is what? The key to that is knowing when to say no. Now, I don't have enough time and energy to do everything people ask me to do. And mom, you don't have enough time and energy to do everything that you're asked to do. And so sometimes the smart thing to do is to just say no. You are not supposed to say yes to everyone's request. Next, you are not to blame for others' hardships. There are too many moms who feel too much guilt because their children have made some bad decisions. Now, I don't want my children to make bad decisions. And I know that my children don't have perfect parents. Me and Nana, we mess up as, as often as anybody else. And moms and dads, you mess up. You've sinned. You've fallen short. But what we need to do is we need to ask for forgiveness and move on. God knew our kids wouldn't have perfect parents when he gave them to us. And we need to recognize that the choices our kids make are their own choices. And you need to leave it there. You don't need to be feeling all of this guilt you don't need to be struggling with all of these negative feelings because your kids are making wrong decisions. You, you do what you know God says for you to do, and you ask forgiveness when you fall short. And just as Galatians 6, 5 says, you need to let their responsibility and their choices be their choices. You know, if I told you that, um, that one of my grandfathers was an alcoholic, and uh, if I told you that he might not have set a very good example for me in that respect. And then I told you that I went out and just absolutely got drunk yesterday. But I, it was because of my grandfather. You see, when we see this in the lives of others, it's easy for us to separate out the kids' choices from the parenting of the parents. But when we look into our own life, it's hard to see that. I talk, I've talked to hundreds of ladies, moms through the years that are just crushed by unnecessary guilt because of the choices of their children. Galatians 6.5 says that you need to let their choices be their choices. And then the last thing you should do because of Galatians 6, 2, and 5, moms, is you should take some time off. You know, moms hardly ever take time off. 
I think about when my family goes on a vacation and we uh, probably won't be able to do it this year, but most years we, we try to get out of town and we try to go on a pretty nice vacation and, and I work pretty hard and I work a lot of hours and, and, and I just need a week or two just to get away and uh, some undisclosed location and leave my cell phone behind and I don't really do that, but I want to do that. And, uh, but you know, we go on vacation. My wife, it's really not a vacation for her. We've just sort of moved her work site from one city to another. It's, uh, moms, uh, moms don't get time off. Uh, but we're to take time off. Now, if I were to talk to you about uh, the commandment, one of the Ten Commandments to remember the Sabbath day, uh, you, you probably would just sort of glaze over because you've heard that a hundred times, I'm sure. And it, you've heard it so often that it's probably not even meaningful to you. But I want you to listen. It is a command. Moms, the Bible says you ought to take some time off. Now, I know immediately what you're thinking is, well, you don't know what's going on at my house. You don't know how busy it is. You don't know all the things my kids are involved in. Well, I probably do, but uh, let me get to that in a moment. Let, let me read to you one of the places, this is from Exodus thirty-four twenty-one. but one of the places where in the Old Testament, God talks about the principle of rest. And, and it says in Exodus thirty-four twenty-one, you are to labor six days, but you must rest on the seventh day. All right, that's easy enough to understand. Work six days, rest the seventh day. He's telling us we need to rest. Now, they had the same problem. The people who received the book of Exodus had the same problem that you and I have. And they would have to that instruction, work six, rest one, they would have the same pushback that you have. What do you think they would say? Well, it's too busy. I'm too busy. I can't. You know, it's easy for the preacher to say he's got an easy job, but, but that there's no way that I can take off one day out of seven. Absolutely no way. Well, God knew you'd say that, and so there's more to the verse. Let me read the whole verse. You are to labor six days, but you must rest on the seventh day. Semicolon. You must even rest during plowing and harvesting times. Now, why did he say that? I mean, he didn't have to say that. He said rest one day a week. That, it seems like that would suffice. But he adds that even during the harvesting time and the plowing time because he knew that their pushback was, well, we'll do that occasionally, but most of the time we're just too busy to rest. And so he said, you know, even in your busiest time, which for them was the harvest time and the plow time, he says even when life is the most busiest, he says you should still rest one day a week. You know, I, uh, years ago I lived in rural Mississippi and my house was uh, literally um, in the middle of the cotton fields. And when the crop duster would come over, he would try to turn off the dust as he flew over my house unsuccessfully most of the time. Uh, but I, I just lived in the middle of the fields and I'm not a farmer, but I observed some things. And one of the things that I observed is they, um, uh, every once in a while, every so many years, they just wouldn't plant anything in a certain area of their field they would let their field rest so that it would be more productive. Now, these people were professional farmers. They, you know, they, they had large uh, groups of employees that they had to support, and, and, and they had lots of expenses. They, they didn't just let a field sit, sit fallow unused for, for sentimental purposes. They knew that they needed to let that field rest so that it would produce more. I also read an article one time about bowling pins. Any of you a bowler? I'm really not a bowler, but, uh, but I read an article about bowling pins. And so when, 
when, at, at a real bowling alley where they have um, leagues and stuff and people expect the, you know, everything to work correctly, did you know that they pull out a certain percentage of those bowling pins and they let them, sometimes for weeks, they let those bowling pins rest. They leave them unused so that when they do use them, they have all the proper bounce and all when the ball strikes them. So listen, if dirt needs to rest <laughs> and bowling pins need to rest, then moms, you need to rest. Now, I know the pushback because I live in the real world. Saying I cannot. You know, my kids do this and they do that and they have uh, swimming lessons and they're on the t-ball team and they have skydiving lessons and, <laughs> and you just go on and on and on. So um, it's just impossible. Well, now listen, let's do a little counseling. I'm not a counselor, uh, but occasionally I, I do some counseling and, it, it, and nobody comes to me twice, so I don't, I don't recommend myself... <laughs> But let's just do some right here, okay? So, because I know I'm talking to a lot of people that are thinking, that taking a day off that's, uh, for a mom, that's, that's a pipe dream, Pastor, there's no way. Well, listen, so, if, so you sit down in my, in my study and you tell me that there's no way. So I'm gonna, I always keep a pad of paper, I'm gonna slide it across the desk and I'm gonna say, well, let's just take a minute and why don't you just write down all the things that you, you've got going on? Just write down everything, all the, everything your kids do, everything, all the clubs that you do, everything, everything. Just write it down on a piece of paper. And so I'll just sit there and just wait. Usually it takes a long time. And then you finish and, and I, you slide it back over and I look at it. That's interesting. That's, I didn't, that's interesting. And so I read through the list because I want to seem like a polite and caring pastor. And <laughs> so when I finish going through the list, I, I, I push it back and I say, okay, now, why don't you just mark off a third of those and then just go home and make the announcement. We're no longer doing these things. Well, okay, I'm, I, I've done this before enough to know that your eyeballs get like that big around. <laughs> There's no way I can do that. Well, why not? Your kids don't have to be in every single activity. We're not trying to raise professional t-ball players, okay? Now, I don't have a problem with sports. My kids are involved in sports. But listen, there just has to be a time when we draw a line. Because what your family needs the most, mom, listen, what your family needs the most is a godly, rested, contented mother in the home. And the way you will benefit your kids for the long term more than anything else is for you to go back and be the godly, contented, rested mom and not just the taxi service. I know we faced a crisis in my family, not a crisis, but a uh, little crisis a bunch of years ago. And this isn't to um, malign any, any decision a parent has made. You've got to make decisions for your family. But for us, I'll tell you what had happened. Uh, I had two daughters then, and they were, uh, they were dancers, and they loved to dance. And so it started off, they each took one dance class a week. And it was cute, or at least my wife thought it was cute. And so they would go to these practices, and then once a year, we would sit for 17 hours and watch a dance <laughs> recital, of which my girls had like a 30-second part right in the middle. But see, that was, that was year number one. Year number two, the dance teacher came and said, you know, your, your, your girl's really good at dancing. They ought to take two classes a week. 
And then it, it turned out every girl was really good at dancing. Okay. <laughs> and then about halfway through the year, you, you know, they're, they're doing so well in these two dance classes a week. We'd like to pair them up with, uh, you know, some other girls and let them do some individual dances. So now two turns into three or four or five. And you know what happened at our house even before we realized it? We were a dormitory for dance girls and a transportation service. That was it. We didn't eat together at night. We didn't, we didn't see each other at night. We just, it's your night to go. It's my night to go. We were mad at each other all the time. And so we finally, that was enough. And I felt convicted of the Lord. I, I set my girls down and said, you know, I, I would love for you to dance. I mean, I, you're beautiful dancers. But what you need most is not to be a beautiful dancer. What you need most is to grow up in a family where you got a mom and a dad that seem like a mom and a dad. You know, this is our last year of dance. And we found some other things and we found a, a, a physical activity that we thought was easier to manage and it turned out to be a really good thing. And my girls are excited or happy that we made the transition. But I'm telling you, it was hard. It was really, really hard. And we don't, We've not made all of these decisions wisely in my family. I'll tell you, we've, we've, miss, we've missed some. But I think we rescued our family when we decided, hey, mom needs a day off. And that's sort of the, the underlying principle. Raise your hand if you're an adult today and you would either be happier, more successful, or godlier if you would have been involved in one more sport class or activity <laughs> as a child. So um, I learned a, um, I'm not much of a golfer. I'm not a golfer. Um, <laughs> but occasionally I go out, usually because there's some obligation, but I'll go out and play golf. And, and um, for years I was, uh, I was known as a long driver. I mean, I could swing and I could hit that ball and it would go so far. It would go like two or 300 yards one direction and 100 yards the other direction. <laughs> and I prided myself. I would swing. I, I can put some weight behind a golf ball and I would, I would swing. And I love for people to go, wow, that went a long ways, three fairways over. And, um, <laughs> but let me tell you about my very best day of golf ever. It was, uh, it was some sort of charity tournament for somebody who had been sick or something. And I had hurt my back a few days before, not like in some real injury way, but you know, you just tweak your back and I really didn't want to go because I was in some pain, but it was one of those things where I was the pastor. I had to go somebody, they were raising money to, I'm not belittling the thing, but somebody needed money to, I mean, it wasn't that they needed my money, but I, as a pastor of the church, I needed to, I couldn't miss this. So I thought, well, I'll go, but I'm just, I mean, no long balls today. I'm just, I'm just going to go through the motions. And so I got up to the first tee. I didn't even warm up because I was, I was hurting. And so I walked up to the first tee and I thought, you know, I want, it's about 45 or 50%. And I'm just going to, I don't want to miss the ball and be, be embarrassed, but I'm just going to tap it. Just, and you know what? I tapped it. It didn't go near, near as far but it went into the same fairway as I was playing. <laughs> and I thought it was just a fluke. I thought, you know, because generally I play 18 holes of golf. I can get it in the fairway once. And, 
So I got to the next hole and I swung again. I was in, my back was hurting so bad. I, I swung very easy and you know, a couple hundred yards is all it went, but it was right in the middle of the fairway. My best game of golf. And here's the lesson I learned. Driving harder is not always better. And moms, you don't need to drive harder. You need to be wiser. You need to be a burden bearer. Be the mom that God meant for you to be. But draw some lines. Be the boundary setter. And you'll bless yourself. And you'll bless your husband. And you'll bless your kids. Let me ask you to bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment. Just with your head bowed, are you thankful for your mom? Let's just start by everybody praying silently a prayer of thanksgiving for the mom that he's given you. Would you do that? You know, we're so thankful that moms are nurturers and supporters and burden bearers. My mom, I don't know if she's watching right now um, on our feed, but uh, mom, I, I, we went through a lot of hardships when I was a child. And um, you were always there. You were always the burden bearer. You were always the sacrificer. Great mom. Thankful for my mom. But now listen, just with your head bowed and eyes closed, whether you're a mom or you're a dad or you're a young person or a grandparent, would you ask God to help you wisely draw some boundaries in your life? Yeah, you need to be a burden bearer. Most of us don't struggle with that end. But you also need to be a boundary setter. You need to let some people carry their own load from time to time. Father, make us wise and make our lives such that they bring honor and glory to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing, as we respond to the Lord.